You know, I read a story about a lady. She was in her 90s, and then she passed away. And uh, this lady was known that she was always punctual, always on time, preferably a bit early. But on the day of her funeral, uh, as her body was being, her corpse was being transported to the uh, cemetery, the family arrived at the cemetery, the minister was there, someone was going to sing a song, and they are waiting and waiting. And no body, they have the gravesite is ready, flowers are put ready there, and people are starting to twitch a little bit, you know, so where, where is the body? And uh, because they had seen the body at the church and now it's the burial. And so um, they were calling frantically to the uh, funeral director trying to get a hold of him. And uh, then they phoned the driver of the Hearst and, and they found out, well, uh, the driver of the Hearst had taken the wrong direction on the highway gone west when they should have gone east. And so now they're about an hour into it and the minister has to go. He has another appointment. And finally, after many anxious moments, the, the casket arrives and the driver jumps out and says, I can do the committal. I'm a minister too. But anyhow, it worked out and, uh, and the lady was buried. So that's, that's my story. <laughs> and that's where I got the title, Are You Late for Your Funeral? Because it got me thinking that some folks are late for their spiritual funeral. They haven't even discovered that it occurred yet. See, uh, there are repeated scriptures that talk about how we've been crucified with Christ, we have been risen with Christ, we have been made righteous, we become new creations, we are united with Christ, we are born again. I don't like the term, well, I do like the term born again, but it's so maligned and misunderstood that I often refer myself uh, as, a, to a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but born again is a beautiful term, and yet many people miss this. So my first question is, did you miss your funeral? <laughs> Let me read something from the scripture here of the many verses that could be applied. Romans 6, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. Notice it doesn't say that sin would be done away with, but the body of sin. What's that? So that we no longer would be slaves of sin for the one who has died is freed from sin. So what Jesus accomplished and when he died with us and for us is that the body of sin, which means that when your body are enslaved, you can't help yourself. You are enslaved by sin. That is over and done with. You can still sin. I don't advise it. But you, you have that choice. So it's not that Christians never sin. We'll get back to that. But the enslavement is over. You receive a new nature. Paul says it so beautifully in my favorite scripture verse in the entire Bible. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let, let's break this down. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Oh, you don't live anymore. No, he says, Christ lives in me. But wait, he says, but the life I now live. Oh, so you are still living. 
So you've got to get the gist of the whole thing. Now, I live that. I'm energized in this life, this new life, which is that Christ and I are in union. This new life, I live by exercising the faith of the Son of God, always remembering that he loved me and gave himself for me. So, so this is describing really a spiritual funeral and you may know it theologically, yes, I know all these things, but we need to just do more than know about it. We need to pay attention to it, to attend to it. I fear that this truth of our union with Christ has been forgotten because so much of our emphasis today in church is about self-improvement, behaviorism, try this principle, try that principle, and we tend to forget what actually happened that something deeply profound happened to you the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ. Something powerful, it's profound happened. I say like this, look on the screen, to be born again is to be a child of God, identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not merely figuratively or symbolically, this is actual. God is not in heaven looking at you and saying, well, I, I, I call them righteous, but you know, we know very well they're not very righteous actually. But let's pretend for their sake. God's not pretending about you. Now there is a scripture version in the Old Testament, which is good, not as good as the New Testament, but it says we are dressed in the robe of righteousness. I, I like that. But you see, if people don't see what Jesus did, they say, well, I'm dressed in God's robe of righteousness, but I sure don't want to take off the robe. Guess what it looks like underneath? <laughs> so I'm wearing the robe. It's like, it's like a pretense. Really, I'm this filthy, dirty worm, but I'm dressed in the robe of righteousness. No, 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 that is not the gospel. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And before you start protesting about that and tell me everything that's wrong with you, let me go on with my message and then I'll take your protest. Are you with me? And so the Bible tells us that we have died with Christ. Why was that so necessary and important? It sounds kind of dramatic. Oh, you're dead with Christ. I mean, sounds dramatic. I'll give you three quick reasons. We died to the law systemic religion, to live under a new covenant. We had to die to the old to get into the new. And we do much teaching about that. Number two, we died to the slavery of sin in order to have a free choice. You're not a slave of sin, so don't ever, oh, I can't change. Oh, no, that's the old way of thinking that has influenced and corrupted your mind. But the truth is you can't change. You can grow in Christ. You can know what's right to do. There might have was a time in your life when you were a slave of sin, but when Christ died, the body of sin that was enslaved, it was put away. And now you have a free choice. You can choose to trust in Jesus. You can choose to say, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then thirdly, we died to receive a new heart and a new mind, a new spirit, to become a new creation. So we had to die from, from the old to become the new. Again, this is not just positionally. This is not a theory. Oh, yes, I guess in principle it's that. It is reality. So I asked, did you miss your funeral? But Anna Hazel said, did you miss this? You are raised with Christ. The funeral is only half of it. 
Ephesians 2, 5, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him. You didn't miss that, did you? You've been raised with Christ. Colossians 3, if you have been raised with Christ or since you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above. Not on things that are earthy, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So now that this has occurred, this spiritual funeral for you, I'm talking about you. <laughs> you, you who think I'm not including you, you're the one I'm talking to. You've been risen with Christ and since that is a fact and you have received this and you become a child of God, so now you think differently. Don't think so earthy. Don't just think so it's all about people and what we can do and what makes sense to your, to your natural mind. Set your mind on things above. This is pretty good, isn't it? How many think it's good so far? This is good. This is good. See, I've been showing you a picture. Show that picture of the beautiful branch of the apples. What I've been talking about in this series of teaching, whether that your sins are forgiven or that you're a new creation and that you're chosen by God, it's like a beautiful, tasty apple. Who wouldn't want to bite into one of those? Don't they look good? That's how good the gospel is. That's how good God's plan is for you. But then religion comes. Show picture number two. Ooh. Okay, I can't stand looking at it. You've seen enough. Take it away. Take it away. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I was trying. I don't want you to have nightmares, you know. See, religion puts little nasty worms in that tasty apple called the gospel of Jesus Christ. All kinds of thoughts. Let me give you some of the thoughts I've heard through my years. People sound very humble and they say, you know, I'm just a worm. I don't mean to overemphasize the worms here, but they say, I'm just a worm. Oh, I'm just a worm. I'm just an unworthy worm. Well, that is a complete misunderstanding of the whole thing. They sound, they think they sound humble. So I want to affirm to you, we are not unworthy worms but we are children of God. Amen? So, so I think everybody can agree on that. Then you have something else. People say, well, you know, Pastor Peter, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I just try to be like Jesus. Then you have not at all understood what we're talking about. Because the moment you say you're trying to be like Jesus means that, that Jesus is out there somewhere as a role model for, from 2,000 years ago, what would Jesus do? And, and you're trying to figure out and you're reading the scripture and you say, I wonder what he would do. You totally missed what it means to be a new creation in Christ. It's not you trying to be like Jesus. And if you try to be like Jesus, I promise you, you will fail. Because that would indicate that there's a separation between you and Jesus. The amazing story that I want us to believe and then walk in it is that we are not separated from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in you. You have become one with the Lord. You, it's like you, it would be like you saying, I'm trying to be, be who I am. It would be like me saying, I'm trying to be a man. Well, I'm, I actually am, so I'm not trying. 
So, so I affirm here, we don't try to be like Jesus. We are in union with Christ. Oh, come on. Then another expression that again is like a little worm. It sounds so spiritual. Well, Pastor Peter, you know, all I want is to get closer to the Lord. I want to just get closer to the Lord. I mean, doesn't that sound like, oh, what a beautiful person you are. So you want to be closer to the Lord. It shows that we have not grasped the gospel. <laughs> it was like she said, I want to be closer to myself. I want to be closer to my kidneys. I want to get close to my kidneys. I want to get close to my breath. We just, because it's so awesome. It's such a tasty apple that you've been united with Christ. You are in union with Christ. It's so beautiful that, that we somehow have to, well, it can't be that good. I am encouraging, and I'm going to show you exactly why in a moment. <laughs> this is the key to your new life. So I affirm we do not try to get closer to God. We affirm Christ in us. Oh, that was worth a little clap maybe even. But, but some of you being smart people as you are, you were probably thinking, what about my old self? That old self, my old nature. Actually, you're dead from that, but anyhow, I'll pick it up. Some people call it the flesh, the Greek word sarks. Let me tell you a story, and then I'll show you a little video clip in a moment. Not because I like to show movie clips, but because it'll help you to remember. There's a story about two young guys, Richard and Larry, and they work for a company, and they discover that money has been embezzled, and so they tell uh, the company owner, Bernie, and they think they're going to be rewarded. And he invites them to the beach house for the weekend. But when they arrive, they find that the president of the company, Bernie, has died. And now they try to have a scheme to make him look alive. It's called Weekend at Bernie's. Look at this. We're going to be heroes. We're going up the corporate ladder. It appears as if somebody's trying to defraud the company. Somebody tried to smoke it past the wrong guy. Very, very good work. How would you two like to come to my house at the beach? Love to! This is a place to die for. You have to kill them, Vito. A little rusty, but it'll come back to me. What? Should we just walk in? But what they don't realize... No, we'll stand out here on weekend. Come on, we're out here. ...is while they're checking in... Forget the accident with the two guys. Take care of Lomax. Bernie Lomax will be checking out. Oh, my God. God, what kind of a host invites you to his house for the weekend and dies on you? I don't know. It looks good enough. Let's go. Uh-oh. Larry, what? Huh? <laughs> really? Hi, Bernie. Hey, Bernie, just like last week, huh? Doesn't anyone realize he's dead? Hold the ball. Got it. Hold the ball. It's just Bernie. So... This is a picture of a defeated Christian. You think you're alive in Christ, but your whole life you're dragging this corpse with you. So that's my flesh. That's my old nature, and I'm going to ditch it when I get to heaven. But I kind of have to drag this along. How many know that would be a miserable life? Maybe you've been doing that. You say, oh, I'm trying to stay with Christ and stay alive, but I'm dragging this burden. I have this burden. Well, see, that's what people think. 
That, that's the flesh. I'm going to do, when I get to heaven, oh, and we get up yonder. Then I'm going to be righteous. Well, you're not going to be any more righteous then than you are right now. So the word flesh is an interesting word. In the Bible, you know, flesh just means flesh. It's human tissue. I put it like this, flesh is mentioned in a positive way referring to the human body. For example, in marriage it says, the two shall become one flesh. Can somebody say hallelujah? And it says, it says on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit is pulled out on all, poured out on all flesh. It says all flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. So, so flesh can be a very good word. Are you flesh? Well, the Spirit of God's going to be poured out on you. But there's another expression for the word flesh and another meaning of it. And Paul uses it when I say flesh is a mindset and a physical behavior that excludes Christ. I would say it's distinctive from the old nature which has been crucified with Christ. But even after that has happened, you have a choice to act and behave and live as if Christ had never done anything for you. And in fact, the Bible is pretty consistent. Only the NIV refers to flesh as our old sinful nature, I think, on one or two occasions. Otherwise, if you read the Bible, it's pretty clear that flesh, what we call fleshly carnal behavior, it is a thinking and acting in a way that excludes Christ. And it's not good for us. Let, let me read to you. Romans 8 says, those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds, see, it's about thinking, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set, so the thinking set on the flesh, on this not excluding Christ, is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So to live according to this Christless thinking and behavior, it is very stressful. It'll bring death. It'll bring burnout. But to live in consciousness of Christ will bring you peace and life. Come on, somebody say yes to that. You see? So, so you've been, you've been crucified. People say, oh, you know, my old nature, I'm dragging it around like you saw in that movie, but I, I take my old nature and I just put it on the altar. But then they say, you know, and one man said, you know, I put my old flesh, I put my old nature on the altar, but then it crawls right off. This is not gospel. This is little worms that crept in. Your old nature had been crucified. This body of sin has been done away with. Don't believe the lie that you can't choose anymore. You can choose. You have Christ in you. You are more than a conqueror. Come on, get, get happy about that. But so we need to still, we don't ignore the flesh. I say like this, flesh or fleshly behavior results in immoral behavior. The Bible talks about that. It's kind of a shallow level pleasure, outburst of anger, immorality, jealousy, pride, anger, etc. So we're kind of familiar with that. But there's something else. Fleshly behavior results in a boastful religious behavior. We may not think about that. We think, oh, murder, stealing. But boastful religious behavior. You know, Paul says... I could have had confidence in the flesh. He said, I could have lived without crediting Christ, if anybody, because I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm on the tribe of Benjamin, and I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee. So if anybody could have been confident in really not including Christ, it would have been me. I could have been boasting. And then he talks about others who are boasting. He says in Col Colossians chapter 2, 
No one is to judge you in regard to food and drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. You know, this is still going on today. Every September or so, you have some preacher on television who tells you that you have to give an offering because it's the Jewish Day of Atonement. And you fall for it, you know, because the religious people, we tend to be suckers. Some preacher, he claims he has fasted for 21 days before he said that. I said he should have ate. Uh, and he called, oh, the Day of Atonement on the Jewish calendar is coming up, and you come as now come and give an offering in it. If you don't give it before that, it's too late. What kind of rubbish? That is spiritual pride. That is fleshly behavior, thinking that you have come to some uh, realization that others have missed when the fullness is in Christ. So don't be, don't be provoked by that. And I, I'm not mentioning names, so I'm being nice. Take care that no one defrauds you. I want to make sure nobody defrauds you. Isn't that nice? Your pastor, your founding pastor doesn't want you to be defrauded. Take care no one defrauds you um, of your prize by delighting in humility. Look how humble I am. My next book is The World's Ten Most Humble Men and How I Taught the Other Nine. Uh, you know, there's it a feigned humility. And the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions. And, and he has seen inflated by his fleshly mind. So, <laughs> ego inflation is the flesh, it is not Christ. Not holding firmly to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joint and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. So that, that's how the Christian life is. We're holding on to the head which is Jesus Christ and everybody, whether you are whatever, whatever leadership level you have, you're a new believer, you're holding on to Jesus and you're growing. How many like to do that? But he says, Paul says, some people get, they have, they have an inflated ego. You know, I want to say, especially to my friends from some parts of the world, you know, uh, there is a, there's an inflation. We were talking to my friends, Gloria and Ramon, they're somewhere here there, the other day about this. And they were asking me about a little bit how, why, why we behave like we do here. Like we don't have a man of God worship in this church. I reject that. You know, many churches, it's like the man of God. Oh, I got close to the man of God. Oh, the man of God, the man of God. We believe, as the scripture teaches, in the priesthood of all believers. We believe you have access to the Father through Lord Jesus Christ. And here you see this sense of building yourself up. And a lot of churches I work with are accustomed to that. So I go as a guest speaker in situations where they think I want the man of God treatment. I was telling my friends there, I said I was in one place. There must have been 20 luxury cars lined up in a very poor part of Africa. I was a guest speaker. It would never happen in my campaign, but I was a guest speaker. And we all have like five bodyguards. Why? Well, because you're the man of God. So you can't be with normal people. Well, listen, man of God, you are pretty normal. <laughs> you're very normal. So being with you is very normal. And so, you know, it annoys me immensely. And so I have these bodyguards that are carrying my Bible and they're going to lead me to the platform because of all the people in all the luxury cars, my picture was on the poster. So I was 
the big man of God. You see, because they were just kind of sitting there listening to me. So I get so annoyed with this. So you know what? I fooled the bodyguards. Before they knew it, I had run out in the crowd and I looked at the poorest looking person I could find. Found an old lady with no teeth and I sat down right beside her. You should have seen those man of God bodyguards. They freaked. You know, if you've been a part of this kind of Christianity, I want, I'm telling these stories because many of you have. I'm not just telling some story that you don't know what can't relate to. I want to set you free from it. It's ridiculous. They told me down at the King Edward Hotel here in Toronto, a certain man of God whose name I shall not mention used to check in there with 12 bodyguards. Nobody knew who he was. You, Christians, and people say, who is this guy? Like, what is it? You know, he's like acting like somebody's going to assassinate him. All he's doing is drawing attention to himself. So in our ministry, we never run like that. We never operate like that. We never, never, never. So if you're used to that and you think, oh, that's a man of God. Look at him. He can't even go to the door and shake hands because he's so holy. He can't. That's, that's inflated fleshliness a mind that is full of egotism and run from that. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You have the same Jesus I do. So if some of you say, what in the world is he talking about? Wonderful. I know a good portion of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Did you hear that? All the yes right there. So I say, we are saying, no matter who you are, you could be the founding pastor, the lead pastor, an usher, a greeter, or you received Christ yesterday. We all hold on to the head. That is spirituality. And we grow from the head who is Jesus. Hallelujah. Galatians 5.16, as I'm talking about the flesh still, walk in the spirit and you will not carry on the desires of the flesh. This is a powerful verse because religion switches everything around. They always have a little worm to stick into every verse. What religion says about this verse, it says, you better stop living in the flesh so that you can receive the spirit. They, put, they, they turned it all around. It doesn't say that you must get rid of all your fleshly behaviors and then you'll get the Spirit. It says walk in the Spirit. You can't walk in what you don't have. So you must have the Spirit. Even while you still have desires for the flesh, you have the Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now walk in what you have and you'll find that by default, the desires of the flesh will dissipate. Oh, come on. That, that's a good, good, that's a true truth. Let, let me give you some more. Being a new creation in Christ is to be united with Christ now. If you don't believe me, let me quote the Bible. Romans 6, 5. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we are like him. We are united with him. So as I say, we, we have become united with him. Not we're going to be united. Not we become. And if that verse doesn't, isn't enough, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Did, that's you. Have you joined yourself to the Lord? Then you're one spirit with the Lord. That's thrilling. But there are all kinds of distractions. Someone says, well, you know, I'm just trying to die to self. Are you suicidal? Spiritually suicidal. I'm trying to die to self. Again, that sounds so nice. But, you know, it implies 
that what Jesus did is incomplete. It, complete, it, it supplies that you, implies that your spiritual death is, is progressive and that Jesus didn't do enough. No, so Paul said one time, I die daily. Yeah, he says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but he's not talking about his identification with Christ. He's talking about his apostleship. He says, I face death from wild beasts, from enemies of the gospel. So in that sense, I die daily. He was proving to the Corinthians, I'm an apostle. Look at what I'm going through. You see, so you are not seeking to die. You died with Christ. I say like this, we don't try to die to self. We consider ourselves, the King James says, we reckon ourselves dead and resurrected in Christ. Hallelujah. People say, well, what about I have to pick up my cross every day? That's a, quite a statement. People who say that usually look very sad. I have to find a new cross to pick up every day. Didn't Jesus say that? Let's read what Jesus was talking about. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is talking about salvation. He's saying when you come to him, don't forfeit your soul. Don't waste your life. But, but lay down your own way of living and receive Christ. He's not talking about the every day you have to find a new cross to pick up. He's talking about salvation. Your, your life is worth more uh, than, than the wealth of the world. And so I say, we don't take up a new cross every day. We took up the cross when we received Christ. And we hold on to it every day. We were singing about today at the cross. We, 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 when the moment I received Christ, I believed. I took up his cross where he had died for me, and I'm holding on to that every day. But I'm not picking up new crosses, so stop doing that. And if that isn't enough, I'll read it from Romans. He died to sin once for all time. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our job is to see ourselves united with Christ, dead and risen with him. So I say to this, if you have a failure in your life, don't raise your hand. If you ever sinned, and I'll talk about Christian sinning in a moment. If you have a failure, if you have a sin, and you need to find an explanation. See, most of us need to find an explanation. Why did I do what I did? Are you with me? Well, well, well I need to explain this to myself. So if you have a failure or a sin, and none of you are raising your hand, so maybe I'm speaking to somebody outside this building. But if you have a sin or a failure, thank you, don't explain it by reducing what Christ did. Don't make your explanation, well, you know, I need to do more, as if you're reducing what Christ did, because that is not the true explanation. So, so let me say this, why do Christians sin? Have you ever noticed any Christian sinning? Could have happened. Even the Bible says that believers may sin. They say, don't do it, but if it happens. First of all, sin is not natural to you when you've been born again. That's why the word born again is so great. It's not natural to you. It's unnatural. If you want to be miserable, sin. It'll make you miserable. Before you knew Christ, you could sin morning, noon, and night. Big deal. 
get off my back, I do whatever I want. But now you have received a new nature. You've been born again, born of the Spirit. Oh, there's a whole other sensitivity. So why do people say? Because the house is divided. Jesus said a house divided itself against itself, it will collapse. It's like sometimes when a new government is elected, you know, they try to, they say, well, we're trying to change everything, but all the bureaucrats, all the bureaucrats, they are running the government. I heard a former secretary of state in the United States, he said, well, I, I tried to do good while I was a secretary of state, but you know, I, I couldn't change the employees. The old bureaucrats were there, so I didn't do any lasting change, but I did my best. In other words, he's saying, you know, there were some deeply entrenched ideas that I couldn't deal with. And you may have some behavioral patterns that are not a part of your nature, it's part of your old way of acting, and, and that's why I'm alerting you again. You are a new creation. You don't have to let the old bureaucrats run your life. Let me make an illustration to you. In our family, Tina is much more observant of things in our house than I am. So when we moved into our current house, we got it at the end of 2019, we, we think that some other people have been there but hadn't spent so much time in the house. And one day, I, I'm upstairs, and I hear Tina saying, Peter! You know, that's the kind of tone of voice, like, you, you know, it's not, it's not, hi, baby. It's not like that. It's Peter! And I'm thinking, well, yeah, what, what is it? She says, we have mice. Oh, no, no, I said, you're excited. You know, I, I'm a positive guy. Like, I'm a born optimist. No, no. Oh, come down and look. There are mouse droppings. I said, no, it's probably dust. Some dust came through there. Peter. So eventually she got me down there. Can you see Pastor Peter looking? Yeah, that could be some mouse dropping. Then we begin a campaign to get rid of the mouse. First, we do it the newfangled, sophisticated way by the mouse traps that are kind of clinical. You don't see anything. It's just kind of, they walk in there and you toss it. But that didn't work. And so I had to go back to the old-fashioned ones. And we put a little piece of cheese. We tried peanut butter. And, and we, 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 every morning, we got we to go check the traps. <laughs> Tina says, check the traps, because she wants me to check them, see. And I went, on, oh, good, no, no mice. Okay. We moved them a little bit, and you know, after a couple of days, there was a dead mouse. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. I, 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 I did, actually. I just hate that. But, and then another one. In fact, and another one. It took a while. Now, now they're gone. I haven't seen them for several years. So why am I telling this? Why did we react like we did? Because we don't think that everything is in our house is of our house. So we didn't come and say, oh, we have a mouse house, everybody. Oh, we have a mouse house. We are a, we're a mouse dwelling location. We are, we, we are, we, 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 we have, we are a mouse house. We didn't do that. Because we recognize Though the mouse was there, the mice, plural, were there, but they were not a part of our house. We also didn't demolish the whole house and say, well, let's bring in the big, uh, you know, demolishing here, take away the, no, no. We said, we've got to deal with the mouse in our house. 
So I want to alert to you. Your mind may have a sinful mouse or a thought, but that sinful thought is not of you. Not everything that comes into your brain is of you. Oh, I don't think you heard me. I said, not every thought that comes into your mind is you. You are not what you think in that sense. No, there can be thoughts that don't belong in your house that come into your house and you recognize that and we had to take a stand and say, no, we are not a mouse house. We are a mouse free house. Does that mean that another mouse could come again? I am sure it could mean that and we will deal with it likewise. Pardon me, whoever was not happy over here. And so I'm saying don't tear Christ down. Don't tear down the whole Christ house that Christ has built. You are the body of the uh, temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't tear all that down because you had some bad thoughts. Okay, I got a couple, five more minutes to really uh, trouble you <clears throat> in a good way. Another thing is that people say, and this, this, this is my head close to home. People say, well, you know, what you need to do is just let go and let God. No. No. See, again, you are separating yourself from God. You are painting an image where God is pulling his way. And you're pulling your way. Let go. Hands off. Let God. I mean, it sounds extremely spiritual. Except that is not the gospel. Let just God have his way. No, it's not just God having his way. You are united with Christ. It's not that I got to get out of the way. No, you don't have to get out of the way. I live, but I'm crucified with Christ and Christ lives in me. But yeah, I'm doing the living. And I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I say, we don't let go and let God. We are co-workers with Christ. Because this let go and let God can bring about a nonchalant lifestyle. Oh, I don't care. This God will take care of it. I didn't pay my rent. Oh, God will take care of it. <laughs> and how will he take care of it? By giving you the wisdom, because Christ is your wisdom, to manage the affairs of life, you and Christ working together. Certainly Christ is there, but you can't wash your hand of the situation and say, I'm going to run the church and have Pastor Nathan pray for me. Sometimes he should say, Lord, give this person some common sense. Because that's what Christ wants to do. Another thing now, this is, can you handle this? Don't walk out service. I'm all, people say, well, you know, it's all about Jesus. Got quiet. It's true when it comes to what happened at the cross and the resurrection. It's 100% all about Jesus. But in daily life, I say like this, in daily life, it's not all about Jesus and none about you. It's Christ and you as one. At the cross, God loved the world. That's all about Jesus. But we don't have this... Oh, it's all about Jesus. Who cares? Who cares? I sleep in every morning. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Whatever, wherever I feel led to do it, it's all, it's all Jesus. No, it's all about Jesus. He's put it in your hand. But he's there. He lives in you. 
He walks with you. He talks with you. <laughs> and so the new creation life, there's all kinds of little bitty worms that come in there and kind of distract from it on, in both directions. Oh, I'm just, a, I'm just an unworthy worm. That's the far end. Or, or it's all about Jesus. I don't do it. No, no. You do things. God works through you. He gives you wisdom. Amen. Okay, final point. I said that five minutes ago, but this is final, final point. Uh, being a new creation is Christ. Christ is to be made righteous. You, you're righteous. Do you think you're righteous? Are you as righteous as Peter Youngren? That was easy. Come on, everybody should raise your hand. That was easy. How many say, how many are as righteous as Peter Youngren? Come on, lift your hand. How many are as righteous as the Apostle Paul? Oh, some of you got a little shaky there. Uh, okay, let me, let me make it. How many are as righteous as Jesus Christ? Oh, some of you are like, I feel, I feel he wants me to lift my hand, but I'm not sure. I feel some heavy weight pulling me. No, no. The fact is, if you're not as righteous as Jesus, you're not righteous at all. There's no such thing as 99% righteous because that little smudgy part is going to mess up the whole thing. So you have been made righteous. You have an imputed righteousness and an imparted righteousness. Some people say, oh, I'm righteous like a bank account I have, and it's kind of a righteousness account. I can pull on it from time to time. Well, that's one picture, but it's imparted. You have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, one thing you need to go do to go to heaven, you got you to gotta beat the Pharisees in righteousness. If you don't beat them, you're not going to make it. So I, I picture in my mind, I was meditating earlier this morning. I, I was picturing in my own mind, here you are at heaven's gate, you know, and there's a whole lineup of Pharisees. I mean, there's Pharisees coming. Here you come running now. You say, excuse me, this is the lineup to heaven? Oh, yes, come on right here. And you're lining up with all them Pharisees there, and they all have a little piece of paper. So well, what, what do you have on your paper? Oh, I've written down everything I I fast this often. I gave this much. I, I, I do all this. And I said, oh, you said, I better start writing too. I better start writing here. I got to get in the lineup so when I get up to the gate, I can show also my. And then as you're writing and you're waiting, you say, you say excuse me, Mr. Pharisee, this line is not moving. <laughs> you ever been at the line that doesn't move? And then you look over and say, oh, there's just peace people whizzing by. I said, where are they going? Oh, they, they're going to heaven too. Uh, they're going into the kingdom. They, they, they're going to, I said, well, well uh, th that line is moving. Hey, excuse me, how are you getting in? They say, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus said, you're not going to make it. <laughs> Can you see all those religious, pious people in a line that never moves? If anything annoys me, it's a line that never moves. China knows how I like to switch lines. So let's, let's try to get over here. This moving and then that's moving and then I go over here. So I, I don't like lines that don't move. It's a sign of my patience. Okay, I think I'm done preaching. How, how many got something out of this? I'm saying to you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you and Christ are united. And, and so, and by the way, one, one thing, when you're dying, it's not like you need like a final touch. I wish when I die, I want to have a deathbed scene and I want to have my family there. 
I want to have my favorite worship music playing. And I want my minister to come and do a little touch-up, a little touch-up prayer, a little touch-up, maybe even bring the Lord's table, a little touch-up as I pass into eternity. You know, it doesn't sound like a nice death scene, but some people don't die like that. They just go to sleep and don't wake up. And I want to tell you something. This life of God, this righteousness is so great. You don't need a touch-up. It is done. Hallelujah. Oh, that's the tasty apple. Thank you, Jesus. Lift up your hands with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful reality.